Welcome to the DevReady podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better technology. But today, we're lucky enough to be joined by Christina Gerakides. So Christina is joining us from Singularity U uh, in Oz here. She's the co-CEO. Thanks for joining us, Christina, and um, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Look forward to this conversation. Yeah, so we wanted to get you on basically just to have a bit of a conversation around how at Singularity you uh, in Australia you're perceiving technology, where it's all going, um, and what you're doing with startups in this in this world, and how you're helping in that space. Oh, so there's so many answers um, <laughs> to that question. So, I guess uh, Singularity U, we're about educating, inspiring, empowering people to use technology for good. Okay. Uh, we actually believe that um, technology is a fantastic resource and it can help us scale globally um, any any aspects of improvement around the world. We're very much focused on the global grand challenges at Singularity U, mm-hmm. uh, and they're very closely aligned to the 17 United Nations Sustainable Goals. So we run a, a variety of programs from high exec programs to boot camps um, for startups. Mm-hmm. And I think what I'm noticing particularly at the moment is this great movement um, where we are using technology for good. Uh, Businesses are tending to go that way as well. So we've got the Davos Manifesto that came out in January this year around the World Economic Forum um, where it was decided that we'd move from, um, you know, shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism. So the the people at the end are, are the most important. Uh, this was also reflected or it was a reflection from the Business Roundtable um, repurpose statement that came out in July 2019 mm-hmm. where businesses are focusing on people um, rather than the shareholders. Uh, and, you know, Branson's been doing this for quite some time. If you've got happy staff, then you've got happy clients. If you've got happy clients, then you've got happy shareholders. Uh, and I believe that technology is going to be used increasingly to move these purposes um, into into the forefront and to be able to scale globally a lot of the projects that are happening um, very much, as I said, aligned with the Global Grand Challenges the Sustainable Development Goals for us. Uh, and what I'm finding at the moment is that we are looking more and more towards the values of humanity um, and where they intersect with the value of technology. Uh, I have a, have a word, renovate. Um, and Humanivate is using innovation for the good of humanity, mm-hmm. and that's the whole direction that SU um, takes. And it, and that's how we work with our startups, and that's how we work with executives across the board. So it's looking to create a bigger impact, obviously, than just delivering out of business. Um, it's looking about how we can impact humanity across the board. I think it's a, it's a great place to stand. What do you see... Um, Businesses that come to you that are looking down that that train of thought, what are they generally focusing in on? Is it a particular area? Is it a demographic that they're trying to serve? What is it generally they're trying to do? I think that depends on what your passion is. Yeah. So, if, for example, for me, education is um, is very high on that list, whether it's a sustainable development goals or the global grand challenges. And I believe that if we can educate people across the board, then we elevate the other 16 sustainable development goals or the other the other global grand challenges. I've spoken to people who are as passionate about the environment as I am about education, okay. and they will tell you that if we don't look after the environment first, uh, that we're not going to have a planet to educate anybody on. But I think I think the 17 sustainable development goals, the 12 global grand challenges. Which are very closely aligned. They, they, you know, they merge into each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're all, they're all equally important because if we ignore any of them, we're going to lose um, a section of of society, a section of the of the globe. I think what I really enjoy at the moment is that there's this limitless capacity for imagination and reimagination. And what that means is, so we were talk, we've been talking about creativity and innovation for a long time. You know, those two words have, have kind of gone together. Um, and what we're looking at now is creativity and imagination, because with the converging technologies. So if we if we converge, say, AR, VR, um, sensors, lidars, three D printing, etc. If we start converging all the different types of technology that we have developed. Anything is possible. You just have to imagine mm. something and then somebody somewhere will help you pull the jigsaw puzzle together. 
I think one of my favourite examples of that that makes it quite obvious to many people is if we look at um, a quadriplegic or a paraplegic and some of the work that's been done around um, AR and VR. So they, there's a, a couple of studies. I know there's one in my hometown of Newcastle, New South Wales, uh, and it's, it's also taken place um, in the States, but they've immersed quadriplegics, paraplegics in augmented reality experiences um, and in virtual reality experiences. So somebody who has no use of limbs may be um, under the ARVR experience running or playing sport or swimming or, you know, going, going around daily business. What they found was that at, a, at the three-month mark, they put the, um, they put the person into an um, exoskeleton suit and what they managed to measure was that there were impulses happening in the limbs Interesting. and that was something that they expect, yeah. Mm. What they absolutely didn't expect was at the seven-month period, mm -hmm. the limbs were actually moving um, to a degree on their own. So. That doesn't mean that, that a paraplegic or a quadriplegic, we don't know yet whether they will be able to walk again or, you know, whether they will regain um, much more function than they have at the moment. Nobody's really game enough to say, but mm. there is that, like if, if that was my relative or my partner or, you know, one of my children, how remarkable um, is that? And that's through that convergence of different technologies. So I think the more we converge and the more we open up our imagination and our creativity to accept mm. Um, mergers like that, the more problems we are really going to be able to solve around the globe. Well, that's some really big problems that you're trying to, that people are trying to solve out there. Um, that's yeah, one innovative piece of work that's happening. And it's all we don't know what's going to happen. But if you're willing to commit to a problem and an outcome that you want to solve, generally um, mm -hmm. magic can happen. And imagination is the key to that. Really, if you can imagine a better world, um, anything is really possible. And we've proven it time and time again as humanity, um, delivering things like flying yeah. to the moon um, and being able to plan a, an implant into someone's ear and they can hear us. There's so much that's already come about and we've got a phone now that sits in our hands that basically is more powerful than computers were 20 years ago. So we are evolving continuously. Technology is just an enabler yes. to allow people to do these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a convergence of and technology. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the greatest things, one of the, the other things that we work a lot in is um, is allaying the fears around technology because people go, you know, tech for bad and hackers and mm -hmm. people are going to take over our lives and the robots are going to put so many people out of work. Um, but there was a study done in the UK in 2015 uh -huh. and I think it was something like 800,000 jobs were lost to technology but yes. there were 3.5 million jobs created mm -hmm. um, and we're about to get an update on those figures. So it's the type of work. Um, that that uh, we're losing. It's not jobs themselves. I find it a bit puzzling why we wouldn't want to give automated jobs to robots, why yeah. we as humans would want to be doing those automated jobs. I totally understand the fear around retraining, yeah. uh, but I think, again, that's a mindset. Mm -hmm. So I think with the um, advent of technology and the way that it is converging and it is taking over a lot of the more robotic jobs, what we need to be doing is freeing up our mindset to go, let's learn a new skill, let's learn something different. And I'm totally appreciative and respectful of the fact that there are members of our community that, that won't want to do that. So mm -hmm. they're, I think, the ones that we really need to look after. But mm -hmm. I think allaying the fears around technology are huge. I know somebody who had their identity hacked and it's taken them 18 months to, to solve all the issues around that identity theft. But when you think about, um, you know, and again, not disrespecting that one person, because if you're that one person, your whole world has been totally yeah, catastrophized, yeah, you know. Exactly. Um, yeah. But if you're not that person and you're the person who's the partner of the quadriplegic mm -hmm. or the partner of, of um, somebody who's on the benefiting end of technology, mm -hmm. um, you know, as Seth Godin said, whoever invented the car invented the car crash. So the technology itself yes. isn't bad. It's the human behind the technology that uses it for good or uses it for, for detrimental purposes. So I think that's one of the biggest things that we do as well. And also um, having people expand their thoughts. So we do a lot of work with, with some startups and a lot of the startups that we do work with and, and scale-ups uh, are already embedded in in the technology space, but we tend to open the horizon around what their products can actually be used for as well. So 
one of the one of the projects um, that one of the guys that went through our um, our program not long ago has uh, a rehabilitation um, exercise for uh, for stroke victims. Okay. And what happened was his grandmother had a stroke and, and, you know, the rehab wasn't available enough for her to recover properly, so he created this machine and she was kind of able to play her favourite games on the machine, um, all the while improving the movement in her body. But when we went, actually went through it, we came up with another 50 uses. So it wasn't just stroke victims, you know, it was um, it, you know, children who might not have um, defined motor skills. So we went through a whole lot of different um, ranges technology could help so it's not just but you know i think what what is fascinating with a lot of the startups and the scale that we do work with is the human interest story behind the purpose of why they're doing what they're doing so do you find that's who you attract into your startup programs it's generally there is a human interest there is a for good purpose for this this business and this technology existing yeah, and that's part of our criteria. Get it. So if you, you need to have something that can be scalable and that doesn't mean that you have to know how to scale it. Mm -hmm. We can assist with that. Your project has to be aligned with the Global Grand Challenges. Okay. Um, and if you have come up with something that's purposeful, it's very, very um, rare that the project isn't aligned, that we can't align it with the Global Grand Challenge. So, you know, for us it's about using tech for good and mm -hmm. it's about aligning um, projects with global grand challenges and it's about putting humanity first so if you fill that criteria for us um then you are more than welcome into our programs we run you know two or three four i think this year we'll be running four boot camps where okay. we invite um invite people in and we help them work on their projects and we have guest speakers and some of our speakers are actually you know vcs in disguise um <laughs> nice. they're not going to take you know to take a share or anything but they're what they're there or is to say, hey, if you want to attract a VC, mm -hmm. this is what you do, you know. And it may not be a, a VC, it might, might be an angel investor that you're attracting and we kind of go through what the differences are and what the climate's like and what it's like in different countries. So some a, a product often that is attractive um, in, in the US may not necessarily be attractive in Australia. And I think my favourite um, my favorite example of that is, do you remember the song Member Number 5? It yeah, was Lou Bega. You know, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think I do now. Once you said that, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. Yep, yep, yep. So what happened with that? It's a really fascinating story. So, or I find it fascinating. Anyway, uh, he went to every single um, publishing company um, in in the states and, re and recording studio, and nobody was interested in the in the song at all. Uh, and then he went to Germany and realized that you know there was a. This is a very brief version of the story. Um, but in Germany, there was a, a liking for that type of music. So, you know, they, somebody took it on in Germany. Some the guys from Ford heard it, decided they wanted to use it as their as their um, as their song. Meanwhile, back in America, once it's hit all the airways, it's gone number one. So there's this whole um, idea of where does your product fit in a global market? So mm -hmm. we like to help our startups um, find their their fit in a global market as well. In terms of finding a fit in a global market, how do you go about that? Obviously, you'd need some experts across different categories Definitely. in different countries to actually assist on that. What's the steps there? So I, I'm a startup. I come to Singularity U with a concept or something I'm potentially working on already. Um, not sure where I rate basically fit right now, but how do you help them find their fit within the global market? So for us, it's uh, we have a global organization and we okay. have partners in Canada, Portugal, Brazil, mm -hmm. Italy, um, you know, we've got partners, there's, there's nine country partners around the globe. So we can plug in to their requirements. Um, we meet a couple of times a year. We're in constant conversation with each other. We also have global faculty. So we've got something like 300 people on global faculty uh, and we can plug into their expertise as well. And I think one of the things that attracted me to Singularity was that absolute collegiality and the absolute collaboration. So I might put a message out on on a on our um, communication channel before I go to bed. By the time I get up in the morning, I've got four or five answers to a question. Or if I'm seeking resources, I've got you know ten options for resources. Um, we just recently all met. We had a, um, a, a one of our yearly gatherings um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and the information that was shared in, in three days was absolutely incredible. So when you say 
how do we go about that? We have experts here mm -hmm. that help us with that. We have international experts that come to the boot camps that work with um, startups and scale-ups. Okay. But we also have access to this amazing international faculty who cannot give you enough information. It sounds very ideal, <laughs> um, ideal, but it is. You know, the collegiality is is we're very blessed. Oh, very good, and having people across, I think he's mentioned nine countries, gives you a diverse range of opinions as well. So, um, yeah, very good in terms of yeah. how you can potentially help. Probably great to have that support mm. and experience, mm -hmm. and then this new sort of culture that's coming through to support each other and be yes. able to provide and assist all of that as well. Mm. I think we're yeah, definitely so it, it, it's interesting what you say because even though we're in a position to know anything, anywhere, anytime, mm -hmm. we don't have time to know anything, anywhere, anytime. So to use the expertise that's available um, and to be able to, to um, pull in different levels of expertise as well is really crucial and that's where the global community comes in. In terms of, um, so if I'm a, a startup attracted to, or attracted to you in terms of your story, what's my steps? What do I do? Do I basically have to pitch to get involved? How do I approach getting involved in your startup boot camps? So we tend to not want to reinvent the wheel okay. um, on anything. We tend to work collaboratively with many different organisations. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, one of our, our partners, we do we uh, were recently at West Tech Fest in Western Australia and um, my co-CEO, Lisa Andrews, was a judge on the, on the pitch competition. Okay. So we, we, we afforded an additional prize mm -hmm. um, to that competition to say, hey, the, you know, this person here who fits our criteria um, is now welcome into the boot camp. So, you know, let's, can we support you? Um, and, we, you know, we can also offer maybe a couple of extra places into the boot camp if we think that there's five perfect candidates um, out of out of um, West Tech Fest to come over, then we could we could invite them in. Similarly, we, um, we did some work with Earth Tech up in Queensland at uh -huh. the University of Queensland and we went and we were, again, we did, um, an additional prize for their pitch fest, um, invited somebody from there into the boot camp. Pause Fest was on a few weeks ago. Yes. Um, we've invited the top, you know, so they had 30 people that pitched um, over a three-day period and we have invited two of those. So we don't want to reinvent the wheel mm -hmm. on anything. Okay. We work collaboratively with organisations. So if you're a startup, mm -hmm. get involved with, um, you know, some of the pitch competitions or Join one of our chapters, um, which are free volunteer um, organisations and run talks, etc. around that, or email us direct. So info at singularityaustralia.com if you have um, a pitch that you want some help with or that you would like to get involved with our programs um, on, you know, and, and keep an eye on our social media because we'll often put out just before a boot camp, we'll go, hey, we've got four more places left. Um, if you'd like to apply, you know, apply now. So we do a, a lot of that through social media. Perfect. Now, in terms of your boot camp, what am I, if I'm a, a startup getting involved in that boot camp, what can I expect? Um, we're talking to, generally to non-techs. Are you inviting people that are more technical or conceptual? Where uh, are you communicating in and how are you helping through that? So I don't believe that there's a startup that cannot be um, helped to scale globally using technology. Okay. Uh, and it's very rare to find a totally mm -hmm. non-tech startup. Yes. These days it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so by, by merit of, uh -huh. and so for our boot camps, you don't even have to have an MVP, although most people do, okay. um, in a viable product. You have to have a moonshot idea that can scale globally, mm -hmm. that can use technology, um, and that that is aligned with a global brand challenge or, you know, 17 sustainable development goals. And we can help people. So often, even if you don't make it into the first, you know, you might apply and we go, hey, look, we don't think you're quite ready mm -hmm. um, for the boot camp, but it doesn't stop you applying for the next one, so to speak. So if you have an amazing idea and we can help you scale it with technology, um, then by all means apply. And if it doesn't fit this time, it may very well fit next time. So you mentioned moonshot. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. It does. It does. Yeah. Um, you mentioned moonshot idea. Explain to people what that might mean if they're not sure about that. Okay, so a moonshot idea is something that you want to make happen, but you may not know how to make it happen yet. And yes. and the best analogy you that before was um, when JFK went, we're going to go to the moon, uh -huh. and we went, are we? <laughs> do that. <laughs> we're going to put a man that. on the moon. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
and and they had to work towards this project of uh-huh. putting a man on the moon. You know, it's like if you go around and you and you question some of the greatest um, examples of of um, of advancement in our era, mm-hmm. you go, who thought of that? Mm-hmm. And how did they think of that? Mm-hmm. And a, one of my favourite stories around that is like, why did why did the Wright brothers decide that um, that flight was possible? And apparently their father brought home this tiny little toy that had a rubber band attached and you flick the rubber band and the toy the toy spun and that's where they got their vision for flight from. Um, so I'm always going, who thought of that and what was the thing that made them think of that? So if you think about, you know, quantum computing, who thought about the qubit? Like who thought of that? I'm Sometimes that that's still um, the the more I find out about quantum computing, the more puzzling and, and crazy it seems to be. That's a whole but, other space on its own. You can pull that much information in you know in no time at all. And yeah. I'm actually fortunate enough to see um, the the back end of a of a rocket. So where all the thousands of degrees of heat you know propels through, I've seen one three D printed, and I go, who thought of that? Who thought of Printing, like 3D printing, okay, you know, it first came out and we were printing little bits of, you know, jewellery or, or a shoe or something crazy. Yeah. But then who actually thought print whole, you know, I've, I've seen 3D printed houses and I've seen 3D printed boats. So who thought to do that? Um, so I think anything that you can think to do is a, is a moonshot idea, but when you think about it, you actually don't know how you're going to do it yet. But then you work backwards and you step it through and you go, okay, here, you know, here it is. Here's how we can, here's how we can do it. Um, and all those cliches around fail, fail fast, all that kind of thing, you know, it's just this whole learning experience mm-hmm. um, that gets you one step closer to whatever that project and whatever the outcome is that you want from that project. Yeah, and so in in that, it's defining it. Really, it's a big outcome that you've got no idea how to get to um, and if you're going to impact people globally yeah. um, or in, at, at mass, at scale, it generally has to be something big that's never been done before. Uh, that's probably one of the caveats I would put on that, just add a little bit more to that. And you mentioned earlier um, that it needs to align with the global grant challenges. Um, just for anyone out there, are yeah. they more like the X Prize, or is that other something else along the lines I've got that wrong? So no, the X Prize is so we're very much we're very close to all these um, organisations, mm-hmm. the X Prize, etc. The Global Grand Challenges are um, around wellness, prosperity, environment, water, anything, education, anything that's going to improve the lives of many people. So Peter Diamandis, okay. one of his sayings is, you know, you want to become a billionaire, help a billion people. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything that can help. So that that's our moonshot, I guess. Let's help a billion people. Uh, have a better life. So it, it might be something as simple as so one of the X prizes, and they are very much aligned to the Global Grand Challenges, the X prizes, um, the education prize that was awarded a little while ago, where the the um, the whole project was devise an app that can teach children in third world countries basic literacy, basic numeracy. So here we're talking about the Global Grand Challenge of Education. Mm-hmm. Um, so teach them, if you can teach them that unaided by an adult in a period of 18 months, then you win, I think the prize was around 10 to $15 million. Um, and they had, Bill Gates donated, uh, I think it was 5,000 um, iPads and the only person, or five, sorry, he didn't, Bill Gates did not donate. Well, uh, Maybe Surface tablets. Tablets. <laughs> yes. I'm really sorry about that. That's good. Uh, okay, so he donated tablets. So Bill Gates donates, you know, 5,000 tablets. They gave 2,500 out because they knew that there would be some breakages, et cetera, along the way, so they kept 2,500 in reserve. They trained one adult to solar charge um, the tablets at the end of the day. Apart from that, the total test was if my app allowed you as a child to learn basic literacy and basic numeracy mm-hmm. um, from this app, then then your organisation won part of the prize. So everything around the X Prize, you know, is around mapping the ocean, or how do we how do we create water out of thin air, or mm-hmm. so everything around the X Prize is very closely related to the to the what we call the Global Grand Challenges, and as I said, the Global Grand Challenges are very closely related to the seventeen United Nations Sustainable Goals. Anything that creates a better life for the planet, and anything that creates um, a better better life for peace, where our aims are. Um, now let's just get 
back to real basics. So if I want to get involved in the boot camp, I nearly have to have a moonshot idea. Um, I have to potentially have an MVP. What does an MVP mean in your world? You mentioned you don't necessarily have one, but what does that mean in your world? So it means that you've got a product that's functional. So when we brought the the stroke um, the stroke idea in, they had a prototype, or more yep. more of a prototype because they're actually using it in some of the clinics. But they they had an operational um, machine. When we have um, when we have uh, so Bindi Maps is another another one. Bindi Maps put sensors in buildings like universities or you know the ICC when we ran the Singularity U Australia Summit. Bindi Maps put put um, um, put sensors in the building so that if you are um, visually impaired, uh-huh. with the app you can tell where to go. You don't need somebody walking next to you to be able to know where to go um, for the next talk or to find the tech lab or whatever right. to find the next okay. room that you need to go to for for your for your program. So these people all had what we call minimal viable products or beyond. So the two mm-hmm. I just gave you examples of were beyond minimal yes. viable product. Um, some people have come with an idea mm-hmm. uh, and we've helped them develop that idea. They haven't actually gone into the boot camp uh-huh. um, without that minimal viable product that we can talk about, test, um, et cetera. And I've got to say some of the some of the projects out there are remarkable. And so the winners of the last um the last uh, global impact challenge that we ran, ripe time. They can put a sensor in a in a room that's full of tomatoes, and they can tell you when those tomatoes are ripe. You know, and oh. and you kind of go, oh, okay. So why do I want to know about ripe tomatoes? But if we can save wastage, and if we can get that food to people um, without it going becoming overripe, without it going rotten. We are so much more advanced in less waste, less less um, damage to land, etc. Uh, so these are all minimal viable product mm-hmm. organisations that have come into our organisation. Um, Marine Futures Lab won the very first Global Impact Challenge, and they were they were they can't fish, and you kind of go, you tell people that your first Global Impact Challenge, which is going to impact, you know, more than a billion people, uh-huh. is all around counting fish, and people look at you, you know, like you have seven heads. Um, <laughs> but, but, so what that brought home to me was that since 1995 we've been overfishing, okay, and, and the numbers of, of fish in our oceans have declined severely. Um, that impacts employment, particularly in third world countries where a lot of it is a lot of the employment is fishing they sell a product but also in gathering food so third world countries they fish for food um and if we don't know if we can't the more data we collect the um the better off we are at making decisions and and being able to repair you know situations like that so marine futures lab were counting fish with gopros and they would put a GoPro in, and you're in um, you're in audio visual, so you probably know that every every second has 25 frames of vision in it. So mm-hmm. it, yes. you know, and that that's a lot. So they would mm-hmm. sit there and they would count how many fish were in every frame. Um, with the use of sensors and other technology, um, they can now collect that data a lot faster. Because they can collect it a lot faster, they can collect it from a lot more areas. Mm-hmm. So if we know where we're overfishing and if we can tell which populations we're overfishing and we can adjust what we're doing as humans in our behaviour, then that saves you know, marine ecology, it saves employment, it saves people suffering from lack of food. So all these, all these aspects where we can use technology to, to make better lives for people that's what we're attracting into the into the programs um, and that's what we're talking about, you know, having a minimal viable product or a minimal idea. Uh-huh. Let's go count the fish in the ocean. Mm-hmm. They already had the GoPros doing it. We helped advance that technology to the next level. So there's various various levels of support that we give. If we think you've got an, a good idea, we won't give up on you. We'll help you, you know, push it through. And in terms of getting into that boot camp, what does it mean, am I... And what does a bootcamp mean? Is it a is it a weekend? Is it a, a, a six month program? What is it? Yeah. So it's a it's a two day um, experience. Uh-huh. Yep. With ongoing support. So okay. we have 
have um, if you want it. If you don't want it, that's fine. So I'll run a two-day boot camp. It's all around perfecting uh, your pitch mm-hmm. so that you know what to go to, to you know, with to investors or to different pitch events okay. even. Um, but through that process of perfecting pitch, we talk about brand, we talk about narrative, we talk about commercialization. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about uh, we bring in guests who can who are specialists in their field. Yes. Um, and you know the other thing that we say to people that attend the boot camp is you're going to hear a whole lot of different perspectives over the next couple of days, and everybody's perspective isn't going to be right for your business. Take the bits that make sense. Um, go and talk to the people that you most that you have the most affinity with, uh, and use the experience in the room mm. um, to better your product. But you know the other thing is sometimes the gold comes from another person who's come in to do the boot camp, so that we try to create all these conversations where it's not only the mentors in the room that are helping or okay. the speakers in the room that are helping, but create conversations where you know, your idea might be perfectly coupled with someone else's idea and, and what might the convergence of those two businesses do or what is it that you've learned mm-hmm. that can help this person over here? What organisations are you members of? You know, anything that, that continues those conversations. Uh, and then we offer ongoing support, you know, if you want it. So it might be a meeting with, with one of the mentors or it might be that a, a mentor has said to you, look, you know, let's get together next week and have a further conversation and see how we can help you. Yes, yeah, so it's a two-day event. So in terms of getting, Amaya, is it an invite-only event? How does it work? So I have to pitch to get an invite-only type thing. What does it look like? So, again, um, we you know we don't reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. We offer prizes yep. around the camp for people to come in from yep. other pitch events. You can apply mm-hmm. if you want to. Yes. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll, we kind of sort through and go, you know, you're kind of boot camp ready. Yes. Um, you need a bit more work. Uh-huh. Hey, the idea is really good. Let's help you develop that. So yep. it works at um, at multiple levels. We're hoping to um, to run another three boot camps this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we have confirmation of that, I'm happy to share the dates. Yeah, with no, you sounds good. To share with your community. Is there a cost oh, cool. involved in getting a boot camp, or is, is it a free thing? How does it sit? So it's basically a free event. So okay. we run high end. Um, we run high end events. Uh, for executives and corporates, mm-hmm. and what we try to do is is um, run scholarship events like the boot camp, Get it. Uh, where we can, if not for free, then it's pretty close mm-hmm. to free. We have some fantastic partners around that. Um, UTS, for example, mm-hmm. donated venue uh, last time, and that was that was you know that venue is a great cost. <laughs> yeah, know, it is. To, to be able to save on yeah, venue, definitely. Yeah. Uh, well, our mentors are all volunteers. They uh-huh. come because they love being a part of the SU community, but yes. but because they get great joy. They've usually got very successful businesses, and it's mm-hmm. that whole thing about the joy you get from giving back. You know, it's like that rubbing of your oxytocin yeah. makes you feel good. Oh, makes you feel good to help. And I think being in this space, we love working on ideas. So mentors in that room would love the the innovation that's coming out that the thoughts that are coming out and adding value to potentially um, a moonshot idea if one of those ideas in the room gets off and actually makes legs and actually creates value for humanity that's a huge win just by being in that room adding that piece of advice at the right time and maybe mentoring them along along that journey is that's significant value to you um, but you're giving back we had we had a, um, uh, one of our so Went through the second boot camp, mm-hmm. um, didn't win. So where I said right time, the people that had the sensor that, that won the second Global Impact Challenge. Yes. Um, so we have, so Sarah, who was part of our um, second boot camp cohort, mm-hmm. uh, didn't win. I was on Qatar International, oh, Qatar National Television a few weeks ago. Nice. Um, with her product that that uses blockchain to track whether um, a food is actually halal. So, I mean, that for me, to watch one of our boot camp um, attendees reap that level of support from Uh a country but also be able to provide that service is totally remarkable. Um, And what she will go on to do will be totally remarkable as well. Uh, So we get great joy Uh um, out of doing it. It's, it's, you know, definitely we get great joy and great pride out of helping yeah, brilliant. Um, a lot of these startups. <laughs> I really, um, I can see the passion that's in you in terms of um, 
giving back and helping startups. Obviously, mm-hmm. the corporate side of things is educating. What's that? Let's lean in a little bit on that. We're not really targeting corporates, but some of our listeners can yep. be um, non-technical people who are trying to build product within corporate as well. Yep. So how can you help in that frame of reference? Is it educating them on new technology, uh, things that are coming about? What does it sort of look like? So one of our favorite sayings is you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I use myself as an example on okay. this. So I've been working in the creativity and innovation space before they were buzzwords. Yes. With four heads, if you actually mentioned uh-huh. um, creativity and innovation in the one sentence. Um, so I've been in the field for quite some time. Um, and I remember going to or being invited to, um, to a conference uh, where there were several SU speakers uh, and I thought, you know, yeah, I'll go to this conference, but I know so much and I'm, you know, very smart in this area and I've been researching it for quite some time and, you know, blah. I had my mind totally blown by these people who came up with the latest um, in their fields. And I think that's where SU holds its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have expert faculty who, who are forward thinkers who are coming up with the next before it's actually been accepted as the next. And if we can educate um, executives Mm -hmm. to take some of this on, they don't have to take all of it on, but if we kind of go, hey, this is what's going on in the world, Uh what is it you can adopt from a different field into your own field, into your own area of expertise, again, with that convergence of technology, um, of collaboration, of co-opetition, of collegiality, what can you gain from other people that you might meet at a summit or at a um, an executive program, um, and our executive programs are really carefully curated so we don't have too many people from the one profession. Like we'd never run um, an executive program, for example, where there were thirty people in the room and they were all from education institutions or organisations. Um, but we'd have we'd have a mix, uh, and even if we run um, a program, a customised program for a particular organisation. I was told once, um, we're going to give you all our salespeople. And I went, I don't want all your salespeople. I want some of your salespeople and people and some of your R&D people because that's where the best ideas come from is when you have that convergence of ideas mm. uh, and you've got people with different areas of expertise, that, that's when the gold happens in a room. So with our programs, we encourage absolute diversity, um, but we have the latest information that we can share with people that, stimulates them into coming up with something else. But also I think we're a very optimistic organisation and we do believe that the world will be a better place when more and more people connect. Um, And people, one of the questions that I often get asked is once we've made it really obvious how fast things are changing, and they are changing incredibly um, quickly and and things are turning over much faster than they have um, in in pre Um, generations but what we find as well is so the only way we're going to be able to cope with the change and the pace at which change is happening is if we balance that with things like mindfulness living in the moment you know there's a great surge in yoga meditation there's a great surge in wellness we're using technology in the form of apps to assist um, us with yoga meditation mindfulness and if we can live with this state, constant state of change but remain in the moment of that change, then it becomes um, something that we can cope with. And we've been hearing a lot of talk around we're not used to the change, we're not used to this, you know, we're, we're very fixed in the way we, we think. We're actually realising now with NLP that we're not as fixed as we thought we were. Um, Describe so that a little that bit. fluid process. Yeah. And that so not as fixed as we thought we were. Describe that a bit. So for me, that means like we know with neuroplasticity now that that the brain can change pathways, okay, Uh and we can think. There there are people that allow themselves to think agile. There's people that allow themselves to to shift mindset, Mm -hmm. and it's a learned behaviour. So once upon a time, our learned behaviour was that we were very fixed, that we'd have one job for life, that um, that if you had an education, this is what you could do. If you didn't have an education, this is what you could do. Um, If you didn't have a wellness mindset, construct in your life as well that you know that that was missing and you would suffer greater mental illness physical illness whatever that was um, now with neurolinguistic programming we know that we are a bit more flexible than perhaps what we once thought we were uh, and we have the ability to change 
if we can change our mindset. And that is a practice, it's a learned behaviour. So just as that, that fixation and rigidity um, was fixed, flexibility um, and agility can also be learned. doesn't mean that everybody wants to learn it or that everybody should learn it. So there's no judgment um, in those statements, but we, we have the ability to be more agile and more fluid than we potentially think we are or have. I think you mentioned earlier in the conversation around change and a lot of people are adverse to change, especially with technology and concerned about it. But um, I think for what this conversation is really about, embracing it and actually seeing, understanding the impact and, and what we're actually doing in society, because there's a lot that's adding some significant benefit to people. If we focus, and I think it, it, it's about this is about mindset, is about if we focus on the positive, then it becomes a lot easier to draw into the conversation. If you focus on, oh, what if I lose my job? What if this? What if that? Then it becomes a negative concept. So I think focusing in on the positive changes the way we perceive it as well. I totally agree with you. Um, and I think that's the beauty of having a whole lot of positive people in a room mm. and having people with you that support yeah. you rather than put you down. I mean, you can you do the experiment. I, you go up to someone and you say, oh, aren't you feeling well? You know, and all of it, and it could be, it's just a, like I do it intentionally, which, which is awful because, oh, sure. <laughs> but I want people to understand what it yeah. is. It's awful. <laughs> but it does make a point, you know. Yeah. If I tell you that you look terrible, um, then you kind of go, oh, like what's wrong? No, I, I feel okay. No, I had enough sleep last night. But the internal dialogue that yes. starts with a comment like that can be quite debilitating. Mm-hmm. Whereas if somebody's there supporting you and boosting you up, it mm-hmm. has a completely different effect um, on your psyche. So um, I'll share another experience with you um, around that. I had a um, so in a past life, I ran a music festival with a group of students. Uh, and I had a student come up to me and say, look, I want to get this particular singer who was very well-known, you know, very high-end Australian singer to run a vocal workshop. Um, and I said, well, what's what's the problem? And she said, well, when I mentioned this singer, the rest of the class laughed at me. I said, okay, so they laughed at you. Um, if you listen to that laughter and you don't even ask mm. the singer to come and run this workshop, what are the chances you have of of getting her? And she looked at me like I had, you know, like I was off my head. And she said, well, none. You know, an obvious answer. I said, if you ask that that singer to come and do the workshop, what are your chances? She said, well, 50-50. I said, and if you ask her and she says yes, um, how will you feel? And she said, well, I'll be totally elated that she has said yes. I said, if she says no, she said, well, I'm kind of in the same position that I am now. I said, well, you tell me what you've got to lose, you know. Um, so we went through the exercise and, and very carefully constructed the communication and very carefully figured out who we should speak to and all that kind of thing. So there was a, a fair bit of research involved um, in that process. But at the end of the day, the singer came, gave the best vocal workshop I've ever seen. I can say that because I used to sing in a band. Nice. Um, and mentored that student for 12 months. Oh, wow. Now, had she listened to the laugh of the class, and not done anything and not proceeded. Yes. You know, just that opportunity that never would have happened. You know, and totally changed her life, I've got to say. So yeah, interesting. it was amazing. And it's just, just a yeah. different mindset, right? It's and it's going in with intent. So you've crafted it, you've thought about it strategically, thought about everything. It goes back to business or even if you're building technology, it's the same thing. Think about it with intent. Yeah. You have an intention that you're working towards, not just throwing, oh, this is an idea. It doesn't really happen if you don't put in the right things into play. Now, let's bring this conversation back a little bit. Um, what are some of the pivotal things that you see that show success? So, for example, that blockchain for Halal, what are some of the things that she did really well that you saw from the outset that gave her the value, the ability to get to where she was? Now, diversity you've mentioned a few times here um, as being one of the things that you use as Singularity U as if enhancing an idea or a concept and getting in different ideas from different people. What do you see as pivotal things to success? Pivotal is um, your absolute belief in mm-hmm. what you're doing. Uh, it comes back to, to feelings, really. It comes back to who you are yeah. as a person. Um, it comes back to how resilient you are and whether you can, you know, deal with the rest of the class laughing at you or if you can deal with people looking at you um, in a strange way because what you're doing is um, is is, uh, is is maybe countercultural. So resilience 
totally important. Persistence, totally important. There's not many unicorns in the world um, and what we find is that you talk to a whole lot of successful businesses and so many of them are close to that 10-year overnight success story <laughs> because they've just pushed on and pushed on and pushed on. Um, you know, if, it, if it's not 10 years, it might be five or six and it's hard slog and it's constant. It's that absolute dedication to a cause mm. that you totally believe in. So what makes a successful business for me is the absolute purpose that you've identified and, and that's why so many, um, you know, of these businesses have come through personal experience like, you know, um, stroke. His nan had a stroke and what he wanted to do was help her because rehabilitation um, wasn't that, that readily available. The halal, using the blockchain to track it because people really don't know um, where some of the foods come from, at least this way. They're guaranteed um, of, of the source. Um, people that have come up, you know, bindi maps because of the visual impairment, and that that happened because there's a um, one of the co-founders has um, a sight uh, has a gene that could affect sight further down the track. So okay. all these personal stories mm -hmm. um, are really important to purpose. So absolute purpose, passion, resilience, yes. and being collaborative uh, and bringing in people, like mm. not thinking that you can do it all. I don't know many VCs or angel investors right now that would invest in a one-man band um, or one, you know, female band. Uh, what they want to see is that you've got a great team working with you and they want to see whether they're an angel investor or a VC, how much involvement you want from them, how willing you are to listen um, and how willing you are to, to make change and be flexible. Mm -hmm research, know what's going on in different fields, being able to bring in different perspectives and adapt them into what you're doing. So if you see something that Airbnb are doing really, really well um, and you're, in, uh, you're in, in food, how do you adopt what that is into there? And, and, you know, for all the bad press that Uber get, Uber do not stand still. So Uber were into, you know, cars with, with drivers who didn't, you know, who wanted to drive people around but didn't have a, a great car or whatever, so then they organized some leasing perspectives and then they kind of went well you know autonomous vehicles are going to come in what are we going to do about that they invested in a fleet of autonomous vehicles they're also working on on air travel yes. they're working on uber eats mm -hmm. they're diversifying mm. all the time because they know that the car industry is going to be disrupted mm -hmm. you know we know that um when we get more into autonomous vehicles people are going to share vehicles i'll be able to take my autonomous vehicle to work and then send it off to pick somebody else up and then by the time I booked it to come, you know, come pick me up, take me home. Um, it will have worked for me in that in that period of time. Um, Peter in his book, The Future is Faster Than You Think, Peter Diamandis, says that we really won't care what a brand what brand the car is. And we often don't care what brand of Uber picks us up as long as it's clean. Um, and and I really like it when they give you a bottle of water. Huh? <laughs> but you know, it's not so much necessarily related to brands. So maybe we're gonna see some brands disappear mm. um what tesla has done what elon musk has done is he's he's like just forced people different car manufacturers into looking at electronic vehicles you know but one of the so i was very fortunate to go to tesla factory just now i took a, a group of students um in january this year but i also went there a couple of years ago and in the conversations that we had with um these private tours that we were very fortunate to take you know, Tesla aren't actually in the business of um, producing the best electric vehicle. They want to produce the best vehicle. In fact, they're not even in the business of producing electric vehicles. They're in the business of Im improving energy around the planet. But That's batteries. Um, one of the conversations mm -hmm. we had, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the conversations we had was we don't want to be the best electric vehicle because mm -hmm. the electric vehicle market is like this. Yes. We want to be the best vehicle. So we want to go from 0 to 100 in whatever ridiculous amount of time it is um, that they can do it. And, and because they want to be not, not only the fastest vehicle, but they want to be the best vehicle so that everybody who might purchase a vehicle looks at Tesla to do it. And I love their reverse business model. So let's produce a really expensive car, which is, and we'll have a limited supply. And out of the profits of that, we're going to build the next, you know, the next priced down car mm -hmm. until we actually get to the price of a car that most Americans will spend on a brand new car, not a used car. Um, but most Americans spend around 30 grand USD on a brand new car. And that's, they've done that progressive reverse business model, if you like. So it's flipping things on their heads 
Um, and this is how startups really need to be thinking as well. What can I flip mm. um, on its head to come up with the next best? What is the next best? What is the next thing that hasn't been thought of? Where's the problem that I can solve? Where am I seeing people grimace in their daily lives? The, when they were creating one of the news apps, um, a group of young students from, from Stanford University created the one of the very first news apps uh, and their professors sent them to the corner, you know, to, to test, do some user experience with with people. Um, and as soon as they saw a grimace, you know, someone would look at the app and then go, oh, I don't know where to go next. They'd go, what are you thinking? Where's the problem? What is it that's not absolutely clear to you? And that would be somewhere where they would fix user experience, mm -hmm. you know. And there's a whole, there's really cheap ways to test your products, to prototype now. We've got digital twinning happening. We've got one of the best examples of um, prototyping that I experienced um, I was a guest at the Boston Innovation Conference and you know, coffee's really hard, good coffee's really hard to come by anywhere um, in the States, although I must say it's getting better. Uh, <laughs> but I walked into this coffee shop and someone greeted me and said, hey, if you come and test our product, um, we'll buy you a cup of coffee. Anyway, so I went up the back, they were a bank and they were testing out their new website. So all they had was a piece of cardboard um, oh. with the wireframe basically on it. They yeah. gave me a card and they how quickly can you find uh -huh. these words? Yep. It's quite remarkable. They bought me a cup of coffee. There were two people in the room. Just say they did that 20 times in a day. Really cheap prototype. Very cheap way to prototype. Yeah, very um, good tip for anyone out there that's got something you want to test. Buy people a cup of coffee. I think that's, yeah, very smart. Yeah, we little we idea. heard that strategy last week when yeah, we did. Podcast. Yeah, we did. That as well. <laughs> that's a different way, a different frame. Put a little something up. That was really cool. So uh, what I'm sort of gathering is push the boundary, um, be willing to learn, be willing to adapt, be willing to grow, but also collaborate um, yeah. and also look at what's happening outside your realm of possibility. Um, be willing to communicate with others and resilience. Like you said, um, any business um, generally is not an overnight success. It never really happens. You, you, you are fighting a battle to begin with. And I think you mentioned a little bit earlier around um, your persistence and your belief. So you might have some challenges, especially yeah. if you're trying to moonshot something where people are challenging that belief yeah. and that, that purpose that you're trying to drive and uh, are you really going to be able to achieve that? So resilience, I think, is probably a big thing when you're looking at that big objective that you're trying to hit. Yeah. I mean, who was it that said the day before, it might have been Peter actually, Peter Diamandis again, who said the day before an idea is a great idea, it's a crazy idea. <laughs> um, I know, and I'm not, it might have been, anyway, I'm not sure who said it. Uh, it might have been Peter. But but it's true, you know, and who would have thought that, I mean, if you told somebody that this device here would do all the things that it can do, unless you were Nikola Tesla and you wrote about it in 1926 yes. um, and you, you <laughs> talked about this device, in your pocket and do all these yep. remarkable things. But if you if you actually said to someone, you can do a whole day's business on, on your phone 20 years ago, they would have thought you were crazy, you know. Um, and and that's, what, that's what a moonshot is. And I, I'm not really sure anymore that we would convict something to the total crazy bin yeah, I'm not because of so many crazy. Yeah. I think it's a bit different now. So 50 years ago, if you threw these ideas out that you're talking about, people think you're loony. Today, people probably yeah. say, mm, okay, all this stuff is happening. That's definitely a possibility. Yeah, in that time, the yeah. technology wasn't able to afford people the ability to see that Correct. coming. Yes. So it was loony for the time. Yeah. Yes. Now you see what's happening through yeah, totally. it and people can understand The technology yeah. shifted at such a pace that it mm. makes the impossible possible. Mm. Yeah, who would have thought that you could 3D print a whole house in yeah. a few days? Yeah, you know? I've seen China's got They're a model all... for doing like a skyscraper and they built like a 15-story skyscraper mm -hmm. in like six days. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Probably no one in yeah. there. But... And then irony, the irony around that too is that we, we're taking so long to come up with um, the countermeasures, you know, for the coronavirus. So. We're doing some things incredibly well. Um, but then again, so I was having this conversation the other day with someone too. Once upon a time, that that whole um, issue of, of trying to find a cure for this virus would have been very contained in, in silos. Mm -hmm. Now there's open platforms. We're going, here's everything we know. What else can you add to it? 
um, so that we can come up with with potentially a vaccine or um, incubation, more knowledge about what an incubation period looks like, or more knowledge about how a spread is, or you know how do we how do we come up with ways to contain this virus? And it's it's almost open sourced, um, so that technology has afforded us the ability to all come together to work on on projects um, in ways that never would have happened before as well. Yeah, and if that happened with a coronavirus, like you're saying, 30 years ago, you wouldn't have known about it at all. Yeah, no, wouldn't, wouldn't have left the country. Yeah, it might have been yeah. a different world. Yeah. <laughs> with, and um, you know what? It wouldn't have spread because, you know, we're such, such a, global, yes. um, a global community now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whoever invented the car invented the car crash. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Same thinking there. So with the silo conversation, um, one of my sort of, my thinking is that's the, the currently living in the biggest advantage for startups, small, medium businesses that can be agile. And how do you find working with the corporate world around the general silos? And do you see them starting to open up or you still see that reluctance with people trying to control their own fort, look after their own backyards and not getting too far invested into disrupting within their own organization? How are you finding that conversation at the moment? It's a very interesting question. So as they say, the fish stinks from the head down. (laughs) Um, If you've got a CEO Mm. who is supportive, Mm -hmm. who um, encourages innovation, who uh, allows resources, whether that's time, money, support, whatever that looks like, um, then the silo almost dissipates. That doesn't mean that the fear has been alleviated altogether, because yes. that's a that's a bigger um, a bigger project. Um, but if the support's coming from the top end, there is less fear. If the top end is really fearful, organisations have, like in my opinion, and I don't have a PhD in this or anything around that, um, but we're seeing more and more and reading more and more. Um, around, you know, the top 500, the Forbes uh-huh. 500, et cetera, businesses, if they don't adopt agility and um, and flexibility and innovation properly, yes. won't survive. Uh, I think we're finding that the smaller agile organisations, I think it is the time of mm-hmm. SMEs and entrepreneurs, even though I bet there's lots of SMEs and, and entrepreneurs who are going through that passion resilience phase that go... Hurry hard. up and come through. Yeah. Um, but I think it belongs to the smaller, agile organisations mm-hmm. that collaborate. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I've just finished um, working with uh, an international bank who okay. have got the most incredible leaders who are opening up resources of time and some financial resources to their staff mm. to come up with the next, next. Good. You know, and then having, so I'll give you, on the other side of that, it's not all about technology. It's about the humans behind mm-hmm. the technology as well. There's a group of students that we took to um, to the US, to Silicon Valley in January. We went to Googleplex at Mountain View uh, and there's bikes, bicycles everywhere. And one of the students said to, to um, the guy that we were talking to, why are there bikes everywhere? And he said, well, it's a really, really big campus and if I want to go and have a meeting, if I've got a meeting on the other side of campus, I can just pick up a bike um, and and I'll get there in time. Mm -hmm. And this is from an organisation that invented Google Hangouts, right? So they can easily jump on a screen and have a meeting. But that human-to-human contact um, is still important and the big organisations who are totally techified, like Zappos, for example, an online shoe company whose bottom line is just, you know, keeps going upwards, they have areas for human collision. So they have um, a, a drink centre, and I've seen this. I've been I've been really fortunate to go to Zappos. They've got you go for if you want a drink, you go to the first floor cafeteria. If you want food, you go to the second floor station. Um, so that if you're on the second floor, you have to go to the first or second floor to get food and drink. If you're on the first floor, you have to go. And they encourage as many human collisions as they can. Mm. Um, so we are a human being at the end of the day, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not all about the tech. It's about how tech can benefit us and free us up to have better lives and have better relationships. And I think that's the crux of, of where technology sits in the grand scheme of things. 
Oh, very good, Christina. I think we might end it there. I think that's been a brilliant conversation around the possibilities that are out there, especially to startups in this environment that we're currently living in. Uh, if you're willing to embrace the change and really have a look around what's happening in society across the across the globe in different industries, there is endless amount of possibilities to solve problems that exist within your industries, within your organizations, within uh, a problem that's that's relative to a person at home potentially. Uh, So I really enjoyed the conversation. If anyone wants to get in contact with uh, Singularity U, how do they go about doing that and how do they reach out and get in contact with you? Uh, You can email um, Christina at singularityuaustralia.com or info at singularityuaustralia.com. Google us. Um, There's seven chapters around Australia that are free to join and um, immerse themselves in conversations like the one we've been having. Um, So thanks for inviting me on. It's been fantastic. I've really enjoyed the conversation with you. Yeah, perfect, Christina. Thanks again. Thank you.